This recording is a production of the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee. This presentation was recorded at Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute 2018, held in Harrisonburg, Virginia, on March 2 and 3. Uh, good morning. It's been a blessing to be here. You know, it's brought tears to my eyes to see this amount of men that have taken off work. I know you're busy. Your teachers know that you're busy. And I just am blessed to think of the energy that this gives to your schools just by being here. And even more, if you can take something home, that'll bless your schools. So thank you so much. It gives me energy as an administrator to know that there's this amount of interest and commitment to our schools. So God bless you. And you've been blessed, I hope, uh, many times by, uh, from being here. All right. Well, we were reminded that there's nothing like a cultureless school. Your school already has a spiritual, academic, and social culture. It's there, unless you have a brand new school. You can walk into your schools and you can smell this culture. At least components of it. But you know, cultures change slowly but they do change with people. And so today we'd just like to look at these three areas. The more I studied this, the more I just was impressed with how complex our cultures are and how hard it is to get a hold of it. So I would like to look first of all at a few things about just school culture. It is the hidden curriculum or the persona which shapes and influences every aspect of school life. It is the atmosphere or climate of the school. Now, when we use those words, it reminds us that culture feels a little nebulous. You know, you really can't do anything about the weather today, can you? Can't do much about the atmosphere. But you can do something about your school atmosphere and culture. But using those words does make it feel like it's a little out of reach. And in a sense, it does feel that way sometimes, does it? And really is. It's just hard to get a hold of and just say, here it is. Here's what's wrong, and let's fix it by these three steps, and it'll all be fixed. But still, we can change it, and we need to when it, when it needs changing. But I'm just recognizing the difficulty of really getting our hands on this subject. Also, we could say it is the result, and this adds complexity to the discussion, it is the result of a school's beliefs history, perceptions, attitudes, practices, traditions, and relationships, and add a little more complexity yet. It is the parents, students, teachers, administration board, and local community. Each uniquely contribute to the school culture. So when we want to change culture, which one are we going to start with here? (laughs) We're going to start with the parents, as Gerald talked about last night. Uh, Do we need new teachers? Does the school board need to change? Do we need to kind of just talk to our whole church community here? There's so many layers and components to our school culture. Well, we want a good school culture because a healthy school culture encourages and energizes students to grow and thrive spiritually, academically, and socially. And I'm sure there's many things that could be tucked in here that I'm not going to today, and certainly categories that I'm not really going to address because 20 minutes is not a lot of time. All right. So what I would like to focus on here is, of course, these three. 
Now, we're going to all agree with these points that I wrote down under spiritual. But what are you doing about it? So I would like to, in each of these categories, look just briefly at what we undoubtedly agree we want. Looks a little different, cultures and churches and personalities, but we basically, I would think, would agree. But what are we doing? So I would then also like to look at being intentional about these things. See, businesses, of course, do this. But our churches and our schools haven't done real well with this. It's one thing to decide, if we can, decide what we want, but then how are we going to get it done? Isn't that what business, um, if you get some mentoring in your business or counseling in your business or whatever word you want to use, they come in and they try to understand what do you want in your business? And then their job is to say, here's how to get it done. This management needs to change. This person needs to change. You need to break down responsibilities differently. We pay people to do that, right? Come in and evaluate. We want them to be productive. We know that just a vision of what we want to get done isn't going to do it. We must say, here is specific steps to take to making this happen. I think that's where we break down in our churches and schools. Administrators, school boards, we really should be able to handle this question. Give me two or three things that you really want to see in your school. Now tell me what you're doing to get it done. See, we stumble sometimes with the first one, although we can come up with it, right? I mean, they're very nebulous statements, generic statements. We want academic excellence. We want um, a spiritual atmosphere. We want um, good relationships. You know, these things we've talked about for 100 years. But now, what are you doing to specifically make these things happen? So that we'd like to look under that, under intentional and I know a lot of this is, gets done by the teachers and administration, but also as you as boards think about these points as you walk into the school and kind of sense where are we with these things. So we all agree we want a fear of God that produces reverence and obedience. We want love for truth and respect for holy things. We want a spirit of humility and servanthood. We want spiritual growth and maturity and respect for authority. Here's a few intentional things that I'm suggesting we can do. Focus on the presence of God and his standard of holiness. We have nothing to apologize for. We are a Christian school. Now, what impresses me about this is that, you know, we as teachers, we do a lot of things the same as the public school does. Right? We're teachers. We teach the same material. Now, not all. But I'm impressed with this as I think about this. You know, really, we as teachers are doing a lot of the same things that are being done in non-Christian schools. But it should be permeated with an awareness of God and brought into our discussions freely and frequently. Well, we, we teach math, sort of like they do at the public school. <laughs> we teach history, sort of like they do at the public school. But it's permeated with God and an awareness of his presence. Who he is is brought in repeatedly and constantly in our school. Don't apologize for that. We are a Christian school. We're not just about academics. Identify and respectfully confront attitudes and discussions that undermine biblical values. You know, this might be one of our greatest challenges as we think of last night's discussion by Brother Gerald. 
but is this just our job as teachers? See, this was mentioned that we do not want to create a, a loyalty struggle with our students, and I just want to caution us in this point. We want to identify and respectfully confront, but what if they say, well, my dad does that, my preacher does that, oh, really? Oh, and he's a church member? <laughs> well, we're going to somehow be able, we need to somehow present truth, call them to think carefully about issues without reflecting directly on other authorities in their life. That's so dangerous. I think it's fine to tell students that, you know what, maybe that word is used at home. And that's up to your parents. But here at school, I'm asking you not to do that. Okay, can you work with that, please? Rather than saying, or look shocked that my dad does that or says that. But we still need to be able to confront it if we feel like it's, it's negative to our school culture. You know, we need to help our students, and I'm trying to decide where to put this, this question. We need to help our students ask the right question when we're looking at these kind of issues and subjects. We need to think about, we need to help them think about what is the right question as you look at issues that you're concerned about, even with technology. You know, what is the most famous questions that students like to ask? What do they like to ask? Why? Why? Or what's wrong with it? <laughs> what's wrong with it? Is that a good question? I like to tell students that is a question, but it's not the question. Can you understand the difference? It's, it's a question, what's wrong with it, but it's not the question. In other words, if we can figure out what is wrong with it or isn't wrong with it, now the discussion's over. Okay, so we can ask that question, but somehow to help our students think through technology. So they're talking about a movie they watched and on its varies in settings or a video clip or a YouTube and say, you think Jesus enjoyed watching that with you? What do you mean? See, are we a Christian school or aren't we? If we're a Christian school, we must bring these questions to our students, but even more so to our parents and church. Because again, we don't want to feel like we're fighting a battle at school that nobody else is fighting. Do you feel that way sometimes? We're fighting a battle that nobody else wants to fight. Well, that's a difficult position to be in. We're going to have to decide what to do about it if that's, if that's where we are. But hopefully it's fostering thinking that your church is okay with and you're not, again, creating this dichotomy. What the teacher thinks, what the parents think. And the child struggles with loyalty between the two. We don't want to put our students in that position. At the same time, we want to confront some of these things. So helping our students not just ask that question. I've told students as older grades, I said, remember, you can't get a right answer to a wrong question. So when the question is what's wrong with it, you can't get a right answer from that. When we help our students think about how does this look to God? Is this really walking in truth? Is this really biblical values? And maybe sometimes do what Gary Miller does in his numerous books. Ask some really good questions that lead you to rather obvious conclusions 
but maybe doesn't always state them. All right? And so we help them think about it. Just, just make sure that, that Jesus was okay when you went to purchase that. And he was smiling, his approval, because after all, you're spending his money. Just, just make sure. They'll think of that and be able to mull that over, especially um, older students. All right. <clears throat> all truth is God's truth. It is, uh, the next point here, emphasizing that all truth is God's truth. I like this little statement I read somewhere. It is pride to disdain that which you do not know. It is pride to disdain that which you do not know. And you know what? We have done that in our circles, haven't we? We've scoffed at higher education. Well, we need to have those discussions intelligently, but it's, it's like, who cares about this? Puh, who cares about this? That's ridiculous. Well, it's pride to scoff at which you do not know. All truth is God's truth. And so we need that, that awareness that when we scoff facts and truth, this, these are things that God has designed to be in some way or another. Give opportunity to be involved in spiritual activities. I think there's various ways, of course, to do that. This can be in discussions, as we talked about. It can be leading in worship. It can be leading prayer, singing, devotionals, various ways that they can be involved in spiritual activities so that there's that tone, again, that's in your school, and it's not just this is what the, the, the teacher is doing it's, it's, um, or believing. It's what they are being drawn into as well. All right, let's move on to some academic things. We all agree again, respect for all studies and publishers. Publishers, yes, a teacher who says R.S. Rotten staff means rotten stuff. That is shameful. That is shameful and should never be said. It's been said. You'll never create a culture of respect and academic excellence with that talk going on. Healthy competition, we agree, but what does this look like? High standard of excellence, we agree, but what does it look like? So a couple points. Number one, teachers must master the materials. The teachers must be required to master them. And I'm sorry to say those new teachers, <laughs> don't overwhelm them. Be careful. But at the end of the day, they need to master all the subjects. It might take them five years. But their goal must be to have satisfactory master of all the materials that they're presenting. Once in a while, step into a classroom, and it's obvious a teacher does not know what he's talking about. And just reading from the text, and there's no dots being connected, that is certainly not learning, is it? Now, competition must be inspiring, not demoralizing. This is a huge cultural thing. You know, if you step in a class, think of it this way, teachers, those who have teachers and board members, as you step into a classroom, I would like to suggest that no student should feel shamed by your presence. Because as you walk around and you look at the charts, they are just chagrined if you look at their chart. Because they have 10 stickers, they got 30 stickers, I have one. Or they walk over and look at the board that says, snowing 100% and all the names are on proudly. But my, I don't have any up there. So competition must be inspiring, not demoralizing. I just, you know, I've taught long enough that I teach students of parents I taught. Some of those are even out and through school already. When the, I call them my grand students. When the great grand students start showing up, I think I'm quitting. But anyhow, 
I just like when I see that flood of students in the morning, we're a little larger school, so it's over 100 students, that everyone walks in and feels that they're under my blessing. And we'll talk about that just a little more later. But we can set up a school where there's students that dread coming every day because they're shamed over and over again. Competition must be inspiring, not demoralizing. Maybe a bulletin board of 100%, but not names on it then. You know, it's not good for the person who has 10 of them up there. And it's not good for the person who has none up there. It's all bad in my mind. Or the charts, it's a competition against themselves. They improved day by day. But there's no numbers there, whether they're getting 15 flashcards a minute or 105. But they're making progress. Now they, you walk in as a board member, parent, administrator, visitor, and they're making progress. But you don't know that they're at the bottom of the class because they're making progress as well. It's not demoralizing to them, making them dread school every day. And we'll come across that just a little more later. Let's be so careful with those things. Uh, Just one quick note. I like to joke with my sixth graders. Um, I teach sixth grade math every day. And uh, I tell them when we take a test, now remember, you may not be done first. And the first time I said that, they just kind of looked at me and looked at each other. Said, remember, you may be done first. After a while, somebody said, but somebody has to be. I said, but not you. <laughs> okay. So now if I forget to say that, they remind me. Remember, nobody's supposed to be done first. Oh, that's right. Competition can, can ruin our schools because we want to be done first. And so... Of course, somebody is done first, but it's a way to address that issue in a fun way. Expect students to do their sustainable best. All right, teachers, board members, we can put our teachers roughly in two categories, academic teachers and relational teachers. This is particularly for the academic teachers. We shoot high. We want to get it done. We want a school of excellence. Again, there's students that are not going to be successful under that model. A sustainable best. Do you hold it over your students if they are doing their best? Now, some of you have heard me say this before. But teachers, do you do your best? If you would know that your board chairman or an experienced teacher is coming to visit you tomorrow, or Monday rather, would you prepare a little extra hard? Well, then you're not doing your best every day. And we can hold that over our students. Are you doing your best? No, a sustainable best, a good attitude best. I just think we we have to shape this differently. Or we put guilt on students and call them to something that's just not possible. Truly their best. Every day, every stroke of the pencil is as neat as can be, and they've tried as hard as they can. We just can't live at that level, can we? But we can live at a sustainable best, a good attitude. We tried reasonably. We didn't say, I hate this subject, so I don't care. No, that's not your sustainable best, because you can do better than that. Now, let's think about this just a little bit. Do you have a culture in your school where every student can succeed? If you have a culture in your school where every student can succeed... You don't have a straight line across this graph of what is success, do you? Because if you say that success is at the third line, you're going to have two students that are not successful. If you say that success is at the fifth line, 
you have maybe one successful student. Does God make it possible for all of us to be spiritually successful? Then why would we create a school system that does not model that, that does not mirror that? This is again a huge burden of mine that students do not come to school saying, I can never please my teacher. I can never live up. I'm never the honor student, if you have that in your school. I never get recognition. I just cannot live up. I feel stupid. I feel dumb. You know, when students really struggle, they struggle with that without us pouring it on or creating a culture in which they just feel kind of beat down and beat down. I, I believe every student in our school, if they do their sustainable best, should walk into your classroom saying, I please my teacher. Oh yes, they might struggle deep down in with feeling stupid. That's tough. You might even have to be honest with them that they really do struggle. In fact, you're gonna to have to be. But help that child realize that it's okay. God created us different. And we are going to accept what you can do in your sustainable best. And I am pleased with that. There's a lot that could go into this discussion, of course, of adjusting curriculum and on and on and assignments. But I just want to call us to that. You need to flesh that out in your uh, classrooms. Again, my challenge is, do you have a culture where every student, if they do their sustainable best, is a success or even has a way forward to being a success? It takes incredible flexibility and academic teachers struggle with that sometimes, don't they? Socially, we all agree we want respectful relations. We want every student to feel accepted. We want healthy connections. We want positive peer pressure. Just a couple things in closing that we need to be intentional about. Teachers must deal fairly and consistently, especially now the relational teachers, who their joy of teaching is yeah, you know, there's books, but it's those children. I love those children. I love being with children. You know what a way to be with children every day is? Teach school. You can get paid for it, sort of. <laughs> so relational teachers who really love children are very then often intuitive to, well, some are cuter than others, some are more are just harder to love. I just mentioned this briefly, a study was done where teachers evaluated students' quality of work. They attached a picture of the child and they found that teachers, and this was all even work, let's say it was fifth grade essays. They were all deemed to be equal quality. And as these professional teachers evaluated the work, those with glasses averaged a worse score. I thought glasses are sort of cute, but they didn't. Then they did another one where they didn't have the picture. They just had the names of the students and less popular names of which I will not give any. Consistently, or I should, I should say on an average, scored less than the popular mod names. Completely unfair, based on looks, not even personality, based on names. We must deal fairly 
and consistently, if we want a culture that is healthy socially because the students take the cues and they sure see if you favor students. Teachers must be observant to and take action with clicks and bullying. I would imagine that for many teachers, this is a huge stress. It's a huge stress because parents often are not quite on board with this. One teacher said recently, he said, well, we don't have a problem if my child is a best friend, but you know, we just don't want it to make problems. Well, we agree, you can have best friends, but it might make problems. In fact, it probably will make problems. So the teacher was really saying, you know, it's probably okay the way it is. What is bullying? Do we have a form of bullying? As I did a little bit of study on this, I always thought of bullying, and it is indeed kind of some physical stuff here, right? You, know, you shove here and you shove there, take it out on the football field. Hopefully that's not happening much, but I was impressed with this one definition, that bullying is the ability to use your personal power, your personality power, your social standing to intimidate or exclude others. Now, we do have a problem with bullying under that definition, don't we? How is it that some people are just cool? How is it that you allow students to control your classroom from the back seat by just scowling at you? And so you just allow them to manipulate you. I mean, I have. Don't you ever struggle with that? They have the ability to just use who they are. They got the right last name. They just got their, they're in the right family just to be able to put that pressure on their classmates and everybody cowers to it. We must do something about that or we're gonna have a very unhealthy school culture. Last of all, create opportunities for positive interactions among students. Again, we want that, but what are you doing to do that? What are you doing to help your students relate positively? Older students with younger students. I got this idea. You know, a lot of our ideas come from other people. That's humbling, but it's true. I think I got this idea from maybe Gerald or Faith Builders years ago about having what we call groups. We've done this now for probably more than 10 years and we really do enjoy it and find it to be a blessing. It's an intentional way of saying these first graders don't have to be scared of those big ninth and 10th graders. What can we do? So we create groups the first day of school, every ninth and 10th grader, and sometimes this becomes a little awkward because of personalities, but we still do it. Every ninth and 10th grader becomes a group leader and they have scouts. They got younger students that are assigned to them. So every student in the school, grades one to eight, belongs to a group. The boys with the boys, the girls with the girls. We use that every week. We sit like that for devotions, always. When we go on school hikes, we teachers can sit back and enjoy it and just watch them do the work because they're responsible to pack the food, to decide what to, what to eat, Take it along. If a child spills a chocolate milk, it's not our problem, it's theirs. <laughs> so it teaches leadership. And I just love what that has done to our school. We've had to actually limit the gift giving between them and say, okay, you know, at the end of the year, you can give a card and maybe a, a pack of gum because, you know, I gave you a flashlight and he gave me a flashlight. You know, that's the kind of thing that you run into. And after a while, you know, who gets what? So we've had to limit that. But I love to see that those first, second graders say, there's my group leader. It's helped so much to create just a sense of, of uh, warmth and, and caring about each other. I see a lot more of the older students before school almost always are mixed with first, second graders, third, fourth graders at least, playing four square, playing bump, just interacting in a way that I think is so health, healthy and helpful. So it's intentional again. So in closing, remember, your school has a culture. 
It has a culture spiritually, academically, and socially. I'd encourage you to discuss with your staff from a board or administrative standpoint, what do we want? Maybe take some significant changes. Maybe sometimes school boards, I'm gonna be honest with you, I think there's some teachers that probably, at, in rare cases, probably need to go. Because it is the teacher that is indispensable. They're not the only factor, but they are indispensable in creating a good culture. A school board can try so hard, administration can try so hard, you can walk with that teacher every day. But at the end of the day, if the teacher just doesn't have it in them to bring about a culture, it'll probably need to change, as hard as that can be. So there are those factors that, that are tough to, to deal with. But most of your teachers can be helped and guided through those tough things. So I'd encourage you, take something home from somewhere this weekend. Think about the culture that you have and then identify ways to change and improve it. God bless you. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.